Hey guys, welcome back for another episode of the Scattered Abroad Joint Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 2, and we have a great theme for the year on Behold Our God. I'm your host, Michael Clark, today, and I have with me a great panelist uh, lineup for you to consider. I have over here Brother Joshua Kennedy. Josh Kennedy is with us. He's one of our newest additions to the network, and he'll be joining us today for this episode. I also have sitting next to me here Josh Cantrell for uh, just confusion's sake. I'm going to call Cantrell Cantrell. And then I also have over here to my far left, Bradley Smith. And uh, we're thankful that these young guys are on the podcast with us. Uh, three married guys. That's a new addition. Congratulations to Josh Cantrell for that. Thank you, man. And one single man. Ladies, you know what to do. You can uh, you can reach out to us at the Scattered Abroad <laughs> Network at gmail.com, and we would be happy to take your requests. Uh, Josh is not that picky, though, so it'll be okay. All right, we have a great topic today. It is, Behold Our God in Righteousness. And when we think about righteousness, the word righteous obviously comes to mind first and foremost, because without righteousness and without being a righteous individual, you can't possess the nature of being righteous by being righteousness, having that whole thing embodied together. So why does it matter to be righteous? Our world today says so many things contrary to that. So why does it matter to be righteous? I think we have to be reminded that there is a standard of living, um, thus according to what the Bible has to say. I know sometimes, especially as preachers, we can kind of uh, look at righteousness from two perspectives. First of all, the attribute of God, and of course, the book of Romans, the way in which a man uh, is right before God, thus uh, Romans chapter 114 following. But as far as why does it matter to be righteous, again, as you, as you just alluded to, when you uh, look at our world and our culture today, there is an overwhelming desire of unrighteousness. Uh, I know lately I've been preaching through the book of Isaiah, and you just read that. I mean, the very first chapter, verse 4 and following, uh, he talks about the sinfulness of their generation, of their day, the unrighteousness that they were involved in. And you get over to Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32. Paul, again, talks about some unrighteousness there as well. So uh, it matters to be righteous, first of all, because we want to be right with God. And then second of all, we have to be willing to make that impact on our communities so they can follow that righteousness as well. Yeah, it kind of brings to mind if first John chapter one, the attitude that God had, he said in him is God is light and That's in right. him is no darkness at all. And he continues on with that thought says, if we say we have fellowship with him and we're not walking with him, we're lying. We're lying to ourselves and kind of alluding to what you were talking about with the attitude that so many people seem to have in today's world. It's, it's the attitude of calling evil good and good evil. And we completely changed the standard. And so when we're looking at the attitude of why this matters, then it should be a standard of, well, it matters because we're looking at the attitude of what God says. But for someone who doesn't have that mindset about God, doesn't care about what God says, then they're not going to have the same mindset. So that's kind of something we'll, I think we that's should right. consider with that. Uh, absolutely. I agree with that. Uh, my mind went to Psalm 11, 7, uh, which tells us that the righteous Lord loves righteousness. Uh, so anytime we see anything in the Bible that says that God loves uh, that should obviously be something that we are striving for. Yeah, well, and you think about, you alluded to it. I don't know if I misheard you and you didn't say, or you did say the passage, but the passage you were talking about a minute ago, Isaiah 520, mm -hmm. woe unto them who put good for evil, evil for good, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter, darkness for light, light for darkness. All these types of things have happened in our world today. Mm -hmm. I wake up in the mornings and I look at the headlines and I see certain things and I have to like rub my eyes spin around 12 times and, you know, ask, did I see that correctly? 
do, do I need glasses? Is that something? Have I missed this headline completely? Because there's so much sin that is just commonplace now. And I'll, I'll give this as an example before we move on to the next question. There is a movie coming out sometime next year, and I don't know the name, and I don't even want to give it the advertising with the name, but the movie is basically the opposite of the movie that came out years ago, Unplanned. And that movie faced a lot of opposition in getting to the box office because Hollywood and those that are on the left of the aisle that are okay with abortions did not want this movie Unplanned, which was a story of a young woman who witnessed an abortion taking place and realized mm. it's not as cookie-cut clean as I thought it was. It's, it's a horrific mm. act. And that whole movie was trying to destroy the narrative that, hey, it's just a commonplace medical procedure. They were trying so hard to shut that movie down, and they weren't successful. Unfortunately, there's a movie coming out next year that is the other end of that spectrum where a woman is told, if you have this baby, you will die. And she has an abortion in the previews. That's what they say. Basically, she goes in for the procedure, and she's so empowered by what has taken place that she starts a movement and starts trying to make it more easily accessible for people. And there were so many of the comments that were saying, I am so glad this movie's being made. I'm so thankful. This needs to be shown to people. Woe to them who put evil for good and good for evil. Mm -hmm. And saying that it's synonymous. It's not the same. And there are people now, this is the last thing I promise and we'll move on. There are people now who, I watched a video the other day of a woman talking about maps. And I was like, what are maps? And she started to explain what a map is. A map is a minority-attracted person. We're not talking minority like a different nationality. We're talking minors, kids, and we're going to call them maps. And you're looking at it, and you're saying, basically, don't be so harsh on these people that are attracted to young children. That's not that big of a deal. And the woman used the term, you're actually some of the most vilified people when you're looking at the maps that are going around our world for good reason you're vilified because you're doing something that is unnatural and yet for many years leading up to this people pounded pulpits they stood in front of audiences and they warned and said what will happen if homosexuality becomes commonplace is it will eventually get to the point where people will start to say being attracted to young children is not a problem it's not a sin it's not an issue that's where we're going in our country why does it matter to be righteous because our country, our world is not righteous. Mm -hmm. And we were told to be set apart as a different standard, to be different, to be, we, we did this in the last episode, but to be transformed, Romans 12, one through two, to not be like the world, to do something different. Now, that brings us to an idea though, and a question about the church, because everybody that is in the church, that's members of the Lord's body, are supposed to be righteous. So my question is, are they? Is everyone in the Lord's church righteous? For me, when you look at the epistles, especially I'm preaching also through the book of Ephesians on, on Sunday mornings right now. And when you get to chapter four, you start getting into the practical application of the book from yeah. chapter four to chapter six there. And one of the themes or one of the things you see is Paul encouraging the brethren there to follow after righteousness. Ephesians 4 verse 21 of uh, verse 20, they have not so learned Christ. If you have learned Christ, you'll put on the new man. And he starts giving us all these different attributes that equivalent to righteousness uh, that we have in Jesus and that we get from Jesus. And you look at the book of 1 Corinthians. I mean, in each chapter, uh, there's a problem written to brethren 
And so as Paul is writing every single chapter, chapter one, preacher, spiritual wisdom, so on and so, so forth, he's, he's writing all these different uh, things here. And, uh, and again, that should be a testament to us today to think like, hey, righteousness is right in front of us and we need to pay attention to it. Yeah, exactly. It brings to mind James chapter five. And you look through the entire passage of James and James is talking to a bunch of Christians who are going through difficulties and they're about to face even more. And at the very end of the book, in verse 20, he says, Let him who that he turns who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Why would he even have to cover that right. if it wasn't something that was possible? And just like you were talking about with 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, Paul was right off the bat dealing with, look, I'm hearing that there's division among you. I'm hearing there's problems among you, and you're going off into all these different ways. And even in the book of Colossians, he references that they've been turned away mm -hmm. from the gospel into another, which is not even a gospel. Yeah, absolutely. And whenever we ask, is everyone in the church righteous? Whenever it comes to man and what man should be doing, we're going to fall short. There are going to be times when we practice unrighteousness we should always be striving, though, to be more righteous. You know, if you read the New Testament at all, you can see several individuals or even, in some cases, entire congregations who were uh, unrighteous. Yeah. Uh, but as the church, as Christians, uh, we should always be striving to be more righteous because it is an attribute of God, and we should be striving to be more like Him in every way. Some Sometimes I hear the statement, and I don't know, this is this might be something that I shouldn't say, but I hear the statement, the church is a hospital. I don't know that we should be saying that. I, I think it might be better to be put as a, it's it's a rehabilitation center. And not, not for drugs or anything like that, but you can go to therapy or rehab after you've been in a major accident and you're relearning certain things. And I think that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a center for people who have spent their whole lives looking at the world one way, and the Bible says, no, look at it this way. And you gotta change your whole thought. You have to change your whole mindset on how the world works. I have so many people in my life that I've known who are very involved in being worldly. People that I grew went to school with, people that I have acquaintances through Facebook or Instagram, and their mindset, if I told them tomorrow the truth and they believed it, they obeyed it, I have to rewire their brain. And that's not always what happens in a hospital. That happens in a rehabilitation clinic. That's a center that you go to to relearn how to walk and do it. They don't do that in your hospital room. They don't walk in and go, all right, get up. We're going to do that in the bed now. And you're going to yeah. get out of the bed and you're going to walk. They take you somewhere and they make sure that you can do it. The hospital aspect of the church, I think is part of the reason why we're struggling right now is we are making it seem like it's normal for messed up people to just be in the church. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that you're not going to have struggles. You're not going to have problems. Sure. But I think when we're talking about growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, first uh, Peter, second Peter three eighteen, when we're talking about growing into something and learning how to be better about something else, then it shouldn't be an understanding that uh, you know, everybody's messed up. We're all messed up people trying to get to heaven. We're imperfect people trying to do what's right. And that's the difference. If somebody sits in their hospital bed and says, I know I could learn to walk again. I know I could learn how to use my hands and do all the fine motor skills if I just went to rehab, but I'm not going to do it. Then that's their choice. That's their fault. 
that's their decision to make. But if they want to do what's right, they're going to go through and have the rehabilitation happen. And I think that's part of how the church is everyone in the church righteous. The easiest answer is no. But I think we need to stop saying because everybody's imperfect. I think we need to be aware of the fact that some people in the church just choose to not be righteous. They choose to have church almost like a checkbox. I've come to services. I'm righteous. That's not enough. I mean, think about how that bleeds over into new converts. Yeah. If I'm a new convert and I come into a congregation, I know Andrew Connolly has that sermon, Overcoming Mediocrity, and he talks about there is an expectation to be mediocre. It's because so many people are mediocre. And so as a new convert coming into a congregation and I'm already overwhelmed with this, this, these new things I'm learning, uh, all these different teachings I have to be involved in. And now again, the hospital aspect of it, I guess I'm just going to die. I mean, how, how <laughs> right. depressing that right. is. And Christianity is supposed to be encouraging. There is rewards for walking in righteousness. And it's not something that is just so far off, especially when God is with us. And, some, and, and, and sometimes we, we get into the habit of saying, I can't, and thus we remove God out of it. Well, you can't do it by yourself, but ultimately uh, God can help us do those things. But again, that, that, that hospital, I agree with that as well. That's, I mean, that's depressing because when I go to the yeah. hospital, it's sad. Yeah. Like people in here are, are sick and on these breathing machines and rehab is like, whoa, Yeah. okay, now we're getting better. Now we're working off this unrighteousness and starting to put on that new man. So good point. And it seems to cheapen the idea that we've been washed, we've been sanctified, we've been justified. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul basically says, you were sick. That's right. You were dying. You were in the hospital. Jesus sanctified you. He took you away from that state of life. Now you've got to be changed. Now you've got to not be like you are. You've got to do what was done for you by working towards it. A doctor can perform a million surgeries on a patient, but the patient then has to do the, the work to actually have the most success and benefit from that. Jesus can redeem us. That's 100% true. But if I don't then work and live my life trying to please him and serve him, then all he's done for me is he redeemed me and I've then slapped him across the face and said, that's not enough. You need to now absolve me of everything else. Josh? Yeah, well, that's kind of the same idea that it popped in my head when he was talking about hospital and the attitude that you have when you go into a hospital. You know, far too many Christians seem to be working as if the church is on life support. That's yeah. right. You know, we Ooh, have this attitude preach. of that we're just trying to get by. We're just trying to survive. The reality is God didn't ask us to be survivors. He asked us to be conquerors. Yes. He asked us to have that attitude and to go forward. I think about what we talked about earlier in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it being transformed. We have a different mindset than the rest of the world. The rest of the world can look at what's happening in the, the current time that we're seeing and say, it sounds like the world's coming to an end. And a Christian says, yeah, that's just another Tuesday. Yeah. You know, we look at this <laughs> right. and say, this is no big deal because we have something we're working towards. And Paul in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He has this attitude of I'm not in the driver's seat. Yeah, this is not about how I think about this. This is about how he thinks about this, how he thinks we should go forward. And I appreciate what was being brought up with that idea of we really have a defeatist mindset. Yeah. And we got to stop with that defeatist mindset because, quite frankly, the church is still one of the fastest growing groups in the world. Yeah. Even today. And if people in the outside world see us talking about the church and righteousness as if it's unattainable, you just can't hope to do it. Hmm. You can't hope to be righteous. Why would anybody want to be involved in it? Why, if I tell you, hey, man, I need you to be a good person. Okay, how do I be a good person? have a million dollars in the bank. 
Most people will never see that unless they get on the Dave Ramsey plan and go crazy with it. Or unless you're Jonathan Burns. You there know. you go. Uh, Jonathan's offside right now doing the, the episode. And so, yeah, I mean, you're never going to touch a million dollars, though. And so most people are going to go, I guess I can never be a, a good person then, and they're going to walk away. Mm-hmm. Instead, when Jesus had an encounter with someone who said, good teacher, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. Are you admitting that I'm God? Is that what yeah. you're re- you know, ready and willing to say? There were two things that Jesus brought out there. Number one, God is good. But number two, man can't ever hope to be as good as God. And therefore, I need to understand that, but that doesn't mean I can't be righteous. It doesn't mean that I can't obtain righteousness. There are people throughout the Bible. In Genesis chapter 5, you have the idea of Enoch walked with God and was a righteous man, and therefore God took him and said, I'm not going to have you be subjected to dying the way that you would die. I'm going to just take you. He wasn't better than our Savior, though. That argument sometimes might be brought up. Well, Enoch was walking with God, and he didn't die the way that men die. And what what are we to take from, from that? Enoch was given an exception because he was righteous. And God said, I don't want you to die. I'm going to pluck you up, and I'm going right. to take you. And there's this Hall of Faith chapter about people who are throughout the Bible, God's people, mm. being righteous people. And Rahab is one of the ones among them. And Rahab, we know was not a great woman by her profession. She's not somebody that you're you know, looking at and saying, I hope my daughter grows up and is just like Rahab. But that's someone that's in Faith's Hall of Fame. How? Yeah. She's righteous? How? You serve God, you can be righteous. But not everybody in the church will, will choose to serve God. Some people will choose to make it some type of political game. And they'll make it all about themselves and how I can benefit the most. And if the elders don't do things that I like, I'm gone. Mm -hmm. Some people will make it all about the financial side of things, and it's more of a business. And if things aren't going well financially, I'm gone. That's not righteousness. Righteousness Mm -hmm. is being like that widow with two mites and saying, well, that's probably all I'll ever have. It's going to God. Yeah. And giving all that we have to God and living for him and making it less about self and more about him. Uh, imagine standing before God on the day of judgment saying, God, I don't know how to be righteous. I gave you 66 books yeah, right. over 1,500 years. All these people showing you what righteousness looks like. You say you don't know what that looks like. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Now, here's that question. You just you brought it up, but we can talk about it a little bit more here. How does God show us his righteousness? It's it's one thing to say to somebody, I need to learn how to change my oil. It's another thing to find somebody that knows what they're doing and teaches you how to do it. But they have to show you. So how does God show us his own righteousness? For me, a verse that comes to mind, Titus 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to the mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so when that question is is being asked on uh, how does God show us his righteousness, first of all, we have to understand that righteousness is not something that I can just go buy off the shelf. God, through his son, has provided a way for me to obtain righteousness. Of course, we know uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14, Romans chapter 1, that is found in the gospel there. So God shows me what righteousness looked like in the picture of his son. Jesus is a personification of righteousness. Jesus is righteousness in a body. I mean, that is just just mind-blowing to me. People ask, what does love look like? What does righteousness look like? Jesus is a personification of all those things. And so God shows us that righteousness in the form of his word. And thus, as members of the body of Christ, we take that on ourselves 
and we ought to look like righteousness too if jesus is our standard then when people see us that's a picture of righteous there again genesis chapter 4 uh, righteous abel uh enoch so on and so forth so that's what comes to mind for me yeah well i had the thought about you know you think about the old testament and how god worked with his people throughout the period of time mm. And you see in the Old Testament how God was teaching his people the seriousness of sin. Yeah. Not just because he's trying to bully them over the head or force them into this idea that's narrow-minded view. He's telling them this is the only way. You know, God is the standard of righteousness. Right. Therefore, anything that's opposed to him cannot be yeah. righteous. And so with, throughout the Old Testament, you see he's teaching them the seriousness of sin, teaching them who he is. And then in the New Testament, we see how he actually fulfilled that, how he came into being. And we see in 1 John chapter 1... Uh, verse 9, or 9 and 10 in particular, says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, how much more of a righteous being can it be when he can take your unrighteousness that's away? Right. Good point. He's yeah. looking at this and he says, If we confess our sins, that's his standard for those who have taken on the name of Christ. We can have that constantly removed. And that's, I think, the whole point of what we're talking about here is God's never expected us to never sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that. And in Romans 6.23, we see the consequences of those sins. Right. But well, yeah, bringing that point in, of we had this sin, we had these problems, we've made these mistakes, but God said, I will take those away if you will just stay faithful. And that, I think that's the key phrase right there is faithful. Yeah. John chapter 10 and verse 30, I and the Father are one. God, Jesus said basically not saying that they were equal, equal, but he was saying, I'm deity. You want to say that there's deity? You want to look to the Father? But I and the Father are one. Jesus gave up that oneness, Philippians chapter 2, and came to the earth and he died. But when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 16 and chapter 11 and verse 1, in chapter 4 he says, Brethren, I urge you, imitate me. You kind of look at it and go, man, Paul, you kind of think pretty highly of yourself there. Then he says and it again. Then he says it again <laughs> in chapter 11. He goes, imitate me, and he finishes the thought, as I imitate Christ. Well, Christ came to the earth to fulfill the will of the Father. And so the righteousness that Jesus possessed was because he did the will of the Father, and he was a perfect Savior. He had no sin, no guile, was tempted in all points as man is tempted, and yet he was able to go through life. Jesus is the individual that we see that is the copy of, of God, but he's the purest copy there could be. I mean, a carbon copy. It is the exact identical as God would be, is what it looks like. And then it says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we look at it and we go, man, you know what? If we put us through a printer trying to come out looking exactly like Christ, it's not going to work. I don't know if you all have done this before or not, but Cantrell's actually got a good picture of this. On his questions right now, he took a picture of, a, of I'm assuming, a computer screen. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it, you can read it and you can look at it, but I've got the same document on my computer. You know which one looks better? My <laughs> copy. It's not because his copy's so bad, but he took a picture of the real thing and it did not come out exactly right. identical. Mm -hmm. The only way he could have the identical copy is if he had the real copy. When I look at Jesus, I need to know I'll never look just like him. But that doesn't mean that I stop and just give up and go, well, guess that's it. Guess there's nothing, there's no hope for me. Mm -hmm. There's no way I can possibly have to be, you know, I can't have righteousness, and like Cantrell mentioned, I can't know righteousness because it's never been told to me. No, God showed us his righteousness. Y'all got anything more to add on that before I move on? Well, we've already brought up the book of Isaiah. I thought about Isaiah chapter 1, and so much of Isaiah chapter 1 is devoted to, hey, Israel, you've done so many things against God. 
anything that they had done basically was against God's will. They had worshiped idols. Whenever they did worship God, they offered improper sacrifices. All of those things that they did, taking all of that into view, then God says in verse 18, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white. Or come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. All that they had done, he was still willing to forgive them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whenever people do things to us, though, we're not always that willing. So his righteousness and his faithfulness, I think, go hand in hand. Yeah. In Second uh, Timothy uh, four eight, uh, the Lord is referred to as the righteous judge. He's never going to punish someone who's righteous. And he's never going to reward someone who is unrighteous. So, righteousness, faithfulness. You could throw a lot of other nest yes, words sir. in there, and they go yeah. hand in hand. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think like even with if you want a good example of God's forgiveness and God's attitude towards His people, you just look at the history of Israel and just all that they did and all that God was willing to still try to bring them and help them along. Yeah. We got about about a little under five minutes left. I'm going to go ahead and get to our sponsor. The Memphis School of Preaching was kind enough to donate some Camelback uh, drink containers. Uh, so I don't know what they'd be called, but they're called Camelback. So we have those from the Memphis School of Preaching. Uh, all of our hosts are products of the Memphis School of Preaching and have already been sponsored by them in the knowledge that we received while we were going through our two-year program. And we're thankful to them for sponsoring us this season. If you're interested in preaching the gospel, we'll put their information in the show notes, and we'd be happy, any of our hosts would be happy to talk to you about MSOP and the time that we spent there and the education we received. It's a great two-year program that's completely free. There's on-campus housing that is very cheap and affordable and a very safe place to live. And so if you want to know more about preaching the gospel and Memphis is the place for you, reach out to us. We'd be happy to talk to you. We got about four minutes left. And so we're going to rapid fire this last question, okay? Can a loving God stomach anyone who is not righteous? I know for me what comes to mind, which I'm sure probably for all of us, I think about John's letter to those seven congregations in Asia there. And you look at the seven congregations and only uh, two of them receive a positive report, Revelation 2, uh, 10, of course, that being Smyrna, and then also Philadelphia. Uh, but you think about uh, Ephesus, they left their first love, Laodicea, they were dead, so on and so forth. And especially uh, when God just 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 views how he just 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 wants to speed them out yeah and um and again that for me is is especially what what comes to mind yeah i think about with in the book of malachi and how god viewed the children of israel and the attitude that they had had and how his he says you've robbed me you've robbed me in your sacrifices you've robbed me in your worship and the attitude that he had he said if i'm a father where's my honor if I'm a leader, where's my respect? Where are you giving me these things? Why are they not there? So he has this attitude, and I, I think it's less of the idea of stomaching, more of the idea of it hurts. It yeah. literally hurts for him to be in the presence of those yeah. who reject him. And that's kind of where my mind would go on that on that point. Yeah. When you think about that passage that you just mentioned, Kentrell, and I'll throw it to you, Bradley, uh, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. There are some things in life that we all know They've got to be hot. They've got to be cold. They can't be in between. If I told you right now I had ice cream that I'd sat under the table all day, would mm -hmm. you want some? If Probably. You say, if you say yes, you're a liar. Uh, no. <laughs> the, the ice cream is melted. It's no longer good. If I say, hey, I've got hot chocolate. It's been sitting outside for three days. It's not hot anymore. It's not mm -hmm. what it was when it was first made. And basically, I love what Jesus is saying there is pick a side. 
If you're going to be cold, just be cold. If you're going to be hot, be hot. Don't try to be both. It doesn't work. And because you're not cold or hot, I'm just going to spew you back out. There's no there's no reason to even be able to stomach this. You're not what you're supposed to be. Uh, Bradley, what do you want to close out sure. with before I take back over? Well, my answer is threefold. There's three different senses that I thought about the question. I'm going to be quick about it, I promise. No, God is not going to stomach unrighteousness in the sense that no unrighteousness will dwell with God eternally. Revelation 21, uh, 27 says that, there shall in no wise enter, it, enter into it anything that defile it. Uh, so no, God will not stomach unrighteousness because it will not be with him eternally. No, uh, in the second fold, I guess, uh, God is not going to stomach uh, unrighteousness because it pains God, kind of like what uh, Josh Kennedy was talking about, how it pains him when man departs from his plan. Read the Old Testament. Read the book of Hosea. It pains God. When his people depart from what he has told them to do. And then the, the third sense, which I considered it, when it comes to will God stomach unrighteousness, in view of all that we've said, even when we're unrighteous, God has given us a plan by which we can become righteous. Yeah. What does Romans 5, 8 say? Right. God commendeth or demonstrates, shows yeah. his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't anything of our own accord. That's God's righteousness. Yeah. We had done everything that we could against him. Yeah. And he still sent his son to die for us. That's a picture of righteousness right there. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us this month on the Scattered Abroad Joint Podcast. We're thankful to our sponsor, the Memphis School of Preaching. We're grateful to our new additions, Josh Kennedy and Bradley Smith. And next month, we'll have another new addition on the network with us for the joint podcast. We're trying to talk about the theme this season of Behold Our God. Check out the show notes for how you can contact us and follow us on social media. And until next month and the next time that we're together, check out all the other shows on our network and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.